So we, um, we worship a God who, who loves us and likes us and speaks to us and wants us to hear from him. So let's just take a moment right now and ask him if he will say to us the things that he has for us, uh, that he will speak to our hearts the things that we need to hear today right now. Can you take just a moment to do that? Father, you speak by your word and by your spirit. Will you please do so now, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're going to look at a passage in Matthew chapter 11. It's, it's one that I just keep coming back to really over the last couple of years um, because it's a promise that um, when spoken just hits to the very kind of depth of who we are as people. Um, but before we get to the promise, in Matthew chapter 11, we have this wonderful picture where uh, John the Baptist is in prison. He hears about what's happening with the ministry of Jesus, and he asks uh, this question. Are you the coming one, or are we to look for someone else? And Jesus, through the messengers that John has sent, tells him this. He says, go and report to John what you hear and see. Those who are blind receive sight, and those who are lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed, and those who are deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor have the, have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is any person who, is, who does not take offense at me. People who are in darkness are brought into light. Broken bodies are restored and healed. People who are unclean before God are made clean. Those who can't hear are given ears to hear and they're opened. And the dead are actually raised to life. And the poor, the poor in spirit, the poor in possession, in status, in heart, are hearing the good news that Jesus and his kingdom are for them. Jesus is walking through the world and in his wake, is leaving good. Um, if you guys have ever seen, oh, and if you haven't, I hope you do. Uh, there's an old 1978-79, uh, uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, Bill Melendez, this animated, animated show of Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And, right? Isn't it wonderful? It's delightful. Um, they do this thing so sweetly. When Aslan, after, after Aslan is raised from the stone temple, he's bounding, like jumping all over the land. And every time he lands and jumps again, these flowers go and it's just such this sweet picture of what I think is happening here with Jesus. Um, but uh, when we come to uh, Matthew 11 and Jesus' um, invitation and promise um, of peace, a rest for souls, um, the promise that quiet souls are actually possible, um, what I want you to hear and come away with today is I want you to believe that that kind of peace is actually possible and that you will know how to find it. Because Jesus says this, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And that's gotta be one of the sweetest invitations and promises that anyone can hear. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now here, this is not a limited invitation to a certain group of people. It's an invitation to everyone. With Jesus saying, I know you, 
and I know what it means to live in a fallen world. Frederick Buechner uh, says, we all labor and are heavy laden under the burden of being human, or at least on the way we hope to being human. The weary and the burdened is all of us who are honest about the weight of living in a fallen world. A world where friendships are hard and families can be harder. Where we feel misunderstood, we feel not known, perhaps unloved, maybe unlovable. Where I'm guessing a lot of students will resonate with this. Where you don't sleep, right? You bear the burden of loneliness, anxiety, depression, where externally we're assaulted by messages and stories over and over of war and shootings and so many things that we simply don't have the capacity to bear as finite human beings. The Proverbs talks about this, that people can endure sickness. We can do that. But a troubled spirit, that's something that no one can bear. And Jesus speaks to that with this offer of rest. Now we hear it. But so did the people in the first century hear that message and that invitation. Um, the Jews were living under, under the heavy burden of the law. Now the law of God is good and freeing and beautiful. Um, but it had been turned into something so much um, uh, more weighty and, and not of the heart of God. In the Mishnah, uh, the Pharisees had taken something like keeping the Sabbath holy, forgetting that the Sabbath is actually created for man and not the other way around. Um, and they had taken keep the Sabbath holy and, and then added 39 other things to the Sabbath that you had to do or not do. Things about exactly how many steps you could take on the Sabbath, exactly how you could light a fire or not light a fire. Rule after rule after rule sitting upon the people of God. So they would have heard probably in very much the same way because they also lived with anxiety and depression and being overwhelmed and unable to bear the burdens of living in a fallen world. He says, come to me, and then Jesus offers them rest. And I love, there are a couple of words in this, in this passage, rest and gentle, that maybe are, are sometimes best left undefined. Kind of let them sit on your soul. When Jesus says to you, come and I'll give you rest, you sort of innately know because your heart kind of longs and your soul kind of lurches and you feel the, oh, if that were only possible and true. Now, what did that mean for the apostles? What does it mean for us? I can tell you what it meant for Piglet. What is rest for Piglet? You guys know? When, does, when is Piglet truly at rest? When he's with him. Right? Right, and one of the greatest, sweetest, happiest stories. Boo. Yes, Piglet. Nothing. And he takes Pooh's paw. I just wanted to be sure of you. Rest. Quiet soul. I think your heart understands what that means. And it's really, at its very depth and core, it's an invitation to taste the eternal rest of God. The new heavens and the new earth where we, in our new glorified bodies, our resurrected bodies, get to actually see our God face to face. But praise God that we don't have to wait for that. 
that we taste it here and now, and it's very real, like David in Psalm 27, where he says, I want to taste and see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And Jesus offers and promises that. And it may seem a bit far off. Um, it may seem like one of those um, spiritual things that feels like, oh, if only that were true, like the Samaritan woman at the well. But it is true. It's an invitation, but it is also a promise. Come to me. There's the invite, and you will find rest with me. And if rest is what Jesus offers, taking his yoke upon us is how it actually happens. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, here's the thing about a yoke, right? I know we're not farmers. The agricultural uh, metaphors don't always land. Um, but I think you've probably heard this enough, that, that the yoke is what you put on the oxen. The oxen wear the yoke around their shoulders so they can pull and do things, right? The reality is that each and every one of us, we are yoked. All of us. Every one of us is yoked. When you are apart from Christ, you are yoked to self. You are yoked to yourself. You are yoked to the burdens that you bear. You are yoked to sin and self. And no one can bear that yoke. But Jesus says, come and trade your yoke for my yoke. Learn from me. Learn that serving is actually better than being served. Learn that last is actually first. Learn that sin actually kills. Learn that dying is living. Learn that turning to me and following me actually changes your whole perspective on what it means to live in this world. The things that you perhaps once sought, you now realize don't have as much value. Like Paul, who was able to say, oh, those things that I so sought after, they're nothing but dirty rags now. We can't avoid a yoke. But Jesus' yoke is easy, his burden is light, and it leads to life. Instead of an oxen's yoke, picture this. Don't picture you take off an oxen's yoke and put on another yoke that's just Jesus's yoke. No, it's very different. Take this metaphor and, and imagine that Jesus comes and washes you clean of your sin. And there naked before him, he puts a linen robe upon you. And when he puts that robe around your shoulders, the yoke that you used to have disintegrates and falls away because now you're his child. And by bearing his robe and his garment, you wear his yoke. And his yoke to do his command. And the people who do his commands are the people who love him, his children. And sit there for just a sec. How does it make sense to do the commands of God as rest? How can that be restful? And the way that that's restful is you need to know the one who is giving the commands. You need to know Jesus so you understand the commands that he's given and trust that they actually are life-giving and peaceful. And it's wonderful, right? Here he says, come to me. Come to me. To those in, in the Gospels, to those who are going to know him best, he says, come and follow me. Simon and Andrew, to the disciple who wanted to bury his own dead, Matthew, Follow me, follow me, follow me. He tells his disciples to follow him because here's the thing. 
a life lived with Jesus is how you come to know Jesus. Does that make sense? Right? He says, look, I am gentle and lowly in heart, but come and live with me and see it and experience it with me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. But don't take someone else's word for it. Don't take my word for it. Follow him and you will see it and experience it. I'll give you rest, but to receive it, you have to follow me and you will enter into it. This is what God is talking about when he says you taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and you will see that God is good. So if his yoke is easy and it's how we receive rest, why is his yoke easy? It's because of his heart. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. When we talk about the heart in scripture, the heart of Jesus, we're talking about the very center of who he is. What defines, what directs, what motivates. That's the thing that sits at our very hearts. And he says, my heart is gentle and lowly. Now gentleness is another one of those kind of um, hard to define words. But it's unmistakable when you see it. When you bump into a gentle person, you know it. And I bet if you took just like 30 seconds right now and thought, who are the gentle people that I know? You'd nail it. They'll come to mind. Who do I know that's truly gentle? And here's the thing about being, the thing about gentleness. Gentle is not a human trait that we use to define God. But it's very much the other way around. It's a godly trait that we see reflected in humans. When you go through the scriptures and you look at the word gentle, it, it pops up not as often as you think it would. In 1 Thessalonians, it talks about the gentleness of a mother with her newborn child. In 1 Peter, it talks about the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Gentle is tender, and it is loving, and it is Jesus-like. What about lowly? Lowly is usually a position of low estate, right? Someone that you, you think of who's in a lower um, state in human concept and understanding. And Jesus, the humiliation of Jesus fits this perfectly, right? He was born. God made man in the flesh, in low condition, under the law. He saw the miseries of this life he experienced the wrath of God. He died on a cross. He was buried. He was under death for a time. But this says lowly of heart. The heart of the Son of Man is a heart that did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The gentle and lowly heart of Jesus is a tender, loving heart that is a sacrificial heart. He says, and then you will find rest for your souls. Uh, and this is where we get there, right? To the very heart of the matter. Come, and here's what you're going to find. Rest for your souls. The rest he offers is innermost person rest. It is God is still good in the midst of a cancer diagnosis. Rest. It is though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Rest. It is quiet soul rest. 
It is peaceful soul rest. And it all is all because of the one whose yoke we bear. Jesus is our rest. And there is a very real opposite corollary to this. Life in him and with him is rest. But life apart from him is a life that is incapable of actually resting. That thing that the soul at its very core knows it desires and needs and wants apart from Jesus will never ever find. And then let me close with this. The invitation is not limited because we are all burdened and heavy laden, right? But neither is the promise. The promise is not limited either. It's not limited to easy or moderately difficult circumstances. In fact, the peace that Jesus is offering is oftentimes magnified when circumstances get more and more difficult. When it's as hard as it can get in this world, the peace of Jesus is oftentimes the most on display. Have you heard stories of the persecuted church where they're undergoing persecution, fear of torture, fear of being grabbed in the night and taken to prison, perhaps never seen again? I've heard these stories and I've talked to pastors who live and pastor in those circumstances. And the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ sits on them in a way that I can't fathom. Stories of cancer and illness that are not going to get better. Yet the people have this deep soul quietness because of Jesus. Because they walk and they follow and they know him. My friend Ruth Olson, uh, she and her husband Jim called me the other day. I haven't talked to him in about 10 years. Um, and Ruth is, is just a sweet, godly, delightful woman. Uh, she was in a car accident about 40 years ago. And she has suffered from chronic pain for 40 years. And she is a joyful, quiet soul. It's Jesus joyful. She hurts all of the time. But she finds rest in Christ and in the promises of Christ. And what's fascinating about these, you know, I, we could all go on, I'm sure. We could list example after example after example. But what's fascinating about these, right, is that these are circumstances that have a way of pushing people to Jesus because he's all they have. Right? When you run into that thing where you're like, I'm done. Like, I, I'm done. I can't. I can't. And you end up turning to Jesus and you go, oh, he's actually enough. But then why do we, when we're not forced there, so easily stay away? We come to him because he's enough. His mercy and his grace are sufficient for us in everything. But sometimes it's actually easier to believe when you're facing a cancer diagnosis than it is when you're lonely or you're not sleeping or you're not quite sure that the people who say you like you actually really like you. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden.
come, follow Jesus and no rest for your souls. But you have to follow him and you have to live with him. And you have to believe that taking that first step is actually what you need to do. And it's fascinating, right? I think we have a tendency sometimes to believe we have to get to a certain place in order to make this step, right? Like, you don't wait for closeness to God to pray because praying actually draws you close to God. Worship is not an expression of the feelings that we have for God. Worship is how you develop those feelings for God. And you don't come to Jesus because you are peaceful. You find peace because you come to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our faithful and loving God, Father, um, you offer us this invitation and this promise of peace. Will you, by the power of your spirit, make us able to follow you, that we might know you, and that we might have the quiet souls that you promise? We pray in Jesus' powerful name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.